0: Welcome, friends, once again to Swing Thoughts, brought to you by TaylorMade, number one driver in golf, Twist Face technology. You know how it works, and of course, Adidas, the apparel worn by the participants on this program. Uh, when you see us out and about, <laughs> which uh, you know sometimes people do, uh, we are resplendent, festooned, if you will. In fine tailor-made uh, products. I mean, Sart- uh, is, uh, sartorial Adidas. splendor. <laughs> That's right, In our uh, Adidas uh, products uh, from head to toe and everything in between. My name's uh, Howard Glassman, a golf spiritual leader, along with Tim O'Connor, the coach, the uh, the man with the wisdom of the ages. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like some overselling but i'll go with it why, sure why not? why not why not absolutely if, if we don't oversell who will <laughs> exactly tim o'connor it's been a while i don't think uh, people understand I, I i imagine that the swing thoughts uh, folks think that you and i correspond and talk all the time but this is the busy uh time of year for the coach of the guelph uh griffins
1: absolutely yeah i call it a sprint we uh, picked the team on Labor Day, and here we are about seven weeks later, and we have uh, the Ontario Championships coming up on Monday and Tuesday. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a very fast season, and, yeah, it really keeps me super busy. Um, you know, obviously the players, they got all their schoolwork on top of it, so it's a whirlwind for sure.
0: Uh, I know you've been kind of keeping me uh, up to date with how the team is doing uh, and some of the players that you have on your team. You've got some very fine uh, men and women. And just give us a little, uh, maybe you can kind of briefly tell us where where our team is at.
1: Uh, Well, we've had a great, great season Uh, on our men's side. Our guys, in seven tournaments, we've been in the top three six times. Nice. Uh, A third, second, 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 sixth first first and so trending (laughs) in the right direction and we won um a two-day tournament by five shots the very next day at the cutting club and the i mean it was a brutal day um i think it was it a week ago about a week ago uh raining cold wind probably three with a wind chill and our guys won by 17 shots wow so it's all trending in the, in the right way uh, on our women's side um, we don't have a lot of uh, thought of, it's a small team but um, Rachel Bauer who is uh, Ralph Bauer PGA tour coach uh, she's really come on really played really well improving with every game uh, Olivia Lee another one of our players is the same thing just game by game getting better and better she went birdie birdie to shoot a 79 a couple weeks ago uh, and uh, Sarah Dunning And Sarah is one of the top amateurs in the country for her age. She's a plus handicap. Uh, She won the, the Ontario University Individual Championship in 2014, and now she's playing for our team. So she's got a good chance, I would say, of winning the Individual for Ontario. So we're coming up to the championships Monday and
0: Tuesday. So it's really exciting. And while well, it is exciting and, it, and it's funny, you mentioned uh, a, a day you played a week ago when the weather wasn't so good. Generally, this uh, whole fall has been some of the nicest golf weather, September, October that we've had that day accepted. But the next few days, like uh, we're recording the show on Friday, October 12th. Two days ago, our final men's night, it was 30... When you texted me, I think that, that afternoon it was 30 degrees and we're all wearing shorts. But now we're going to get... Your tournament's going to be played on uh, Monday and Tuesday, as you said, and it's going to be typical Ontario fall weather. But
1: Yeah, it's supposed to
0: be, like, high of...
1: Uh I think high of seven. <laughs> Wind. <laughs> no, I know. Rain. All of that. So we're supposed to have a practice today. So we're just we're not going to stand around on the range and hit shots. We're gonna They're gonna play nine holes and keep walking. And-
0: well, I'll tell you, my older brother was in town a couple weeks ago to play some golf, and he's from Calgary. And the day after, well, and they've had oh. win- they've had winter there oh. since the middle of August. I know. I mean, it kind of went summer, winter. Yeah. And um, then he he left here, and we had pretty decent weather that weekend, like 17, 18, 19. And then he goes home and sends me a picture of his front porch. He's got snow, you know, piled high. And I just feel like, you know, we're we're so lucky here um, in Ontario. Not only do we have great golf courses, but we have a great golf season. You know, I have... uh, I've played several times living here the, as I have the last 30 years in uh, December. Oh, now, absolutely. This year, I am gonna. Um, I think I'm going to start winding down fairly soon. I, I have a couple of more sort of tournament days left, but the rest is just, you know, trying to get out when it doesn't. Because uh, every day it's not snowing. I look at it like, okay, that's a day closer to 2019. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, But we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that Tim's been working on today on the show. We're going to talk about some of the stuff that Coach Tim's been working on with his team, some takeaways uh, from our interview with uh, Carl Morris. We we both have benefited from uh, his book, uh, The Lost Art of Putting. As well, we haven't done a show since Tiger won the Tour Championship, since the Ryder Cup. And, and a couple other odds and ends. So that's all what's happening. That's setting the plate, as they say, in talk radio, Tim. They say, oh, okay, we're going to unpack some of these subjects. I hate unpack. I hate
1: that word. That's a CBC word. Well, no, Why don't no. you just say, let's just talk about it. We don't have to unpack. Well, a lot of
0: thing. guys in the talk radio world use that as well. Another one they use is, let's just pivot for a moment.
1: Oh, pivot. Oh, my God, that one too. Can we yeah. dialogue about this? What's and the then- narrative?
0: And oh my then God. I think Pivot has replaced uh, a bunch of my uh, well, unpack Pivot and uh, th- today's topic. If you're ever listening to a talk radio host and they actually use the word topic, they're uh, fairly new at it. But let's go to our first topic, Tim. Um, and again, we can spend just a couple of minutes on on a little. On, let's, let's spend a couple of minutes on Tiger, then a little longer if we can on the Ryder Cup. So that was. Uh, uh, for me, it was the great. I think the greatest moment in golf t- this year, for sure, in in several years. Because I think most people know that I'm a you know huge Tiger fan. I'm not sure where you are. I'm, I'm here's how uh, big a Tiger fan I am. If I were a, a teenage girl, I would have his poster on my uh, on my on my room. <laughs> okay, okay. I will full disclosure. I have a Tiger Woods poster in my room. That's a I have joke. a
1: picture of Tiger right behind my computer. I have a picture of Tiger Woods at the 2000 Canadian Open teeing off on hole number four.
0: And, oh, there's me in the background watching over. There's a young Tim O'Connor. Yeah, very. Needless to say, it was exciting for me and you. And uh, what are some of the takeaways that you uh, remember from that moment now three or four weeks ago?
1: Wow. I'm not sure. I know my own just watching it was I was really excited. I was – and and it was a great opportunity because I was was, uh, giving a speech at a conference that that weekend, and so I watched it in a bar with a bunch of fellow golf nerds, and it was so fun. We were all like rejoicing in like when he'd make a putt, he'd hit a fairway, you know, and then it gets down to like a two-stroke lead or something, and we're all like, oh, my God, you know, like (laughs) – and so we're all commiserating with each other and, oh, my God, don't don't like where this is going, et cetera. But um, I think just to your point about what it meant and to the highlight of the season, I mean, if you're a golf fan for a long time, you have remembrance of Tiger and the shots he's hit and, and we're all – whether you really like Tiger or you just kind of put up with him or whatever – He's like, he's the Joe DiMaggio, the Babe Ruth, the Michael Jordan of our sport. And to be able to watch what he's gone through and knowing what he went through in terms of like the best, maybe that's ever been, if you will, arguably, and then the downfall and all the drama and, you know, the Thanksgiving, the the escalade and, you know, over the fire hydrant, uh, the surgeries, the comebacks that failed. But here he is at 42. I mean, the drama, all that stuff, it was just teed up so perfectly. And particularly coming at the end of this season where he's been so close, open championship, shared the lead, whatever, PJ championship, you know, like that amazing run he made. But he didn't get it done. But somehow Tiger lives in those – sets it up for these dramatic moments, last tournament of the year, and he freaking wins it. I mean – Just great drama, excitement. And so it was, to me, it was, um, I agree with you. In terms of, like, the emotional payoff, the biggest one of the year.
0: NBC and the Golf Channel, uh, we talked quite a bit about this on the Humble and Fred show. And and the numbers, I mean, mean, if you don't think we were excited, if you don't think NBC was excited, I mean, there they are. They've got all these tournaments and the uh, Saturday coverage. I believe was the highest rated third round the Golf Channel has had in 15 years. I think the last time was when uh, Tiger won some other tournament. But they had like a 300% increase in the ratings. And what that is, is, you know, we've got our, you know, golfers. I mean, I was watching some of the CIMB classic last night. I'll watch golf when it's on TV. I know a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of our golf uh, buddies have gone on to the Leafs who who apparently are playing amazing. Yeah. But there I was watching. So I'm, my point is, if I watch the CIMB Classic so I can see Justin Thomas hit a ball, you know, I was, so we'll watch Tiger, whether he's playing well or not. But what happened was he once again brought in all those casual and non-golf fans. You right. know, Fr- Fred always tells a story of his mother-in-law who has never watched a PGA Tour event except when Tiger Woods is playing. And so there he was, as you said, so aptly uh, put you know it's set up it's the last tournament it's the last day of the season his last chance to win a tournament this year and the fact that he does it was remarkable and and i think for me the iconic scene will be him coming up 18 at east lake with thousands of people behind him and all that by the way when it happened i don't know if you knew this But when it happened, I thought, well, this must have been planned because they used to do that in the majors where they would put that rope line and and they would let the crowd. But it wasn't. And the fact that it was spontaneous and it was the crowd, it was just couldn't contain themselves. I think that says a lot about, you know, all those things that we know about Tiger's past. But it says a lot about what people get from sport. And what they get from it is hope and joy. Because that's what that is. It's why are we pulling for him? He doesn't need our help. But it's a it's a chance to live vicariously through some we get to witness pure that the way you describe it, a pure moment. And that's what sports can do for us.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it was kind of almost biblical in the way it came together. it in, in like the crowds just rushing towards him and down the fairways I the lo- overheads and I love Dan Hicks uh, he's just become such a, a great broadcaster and the way he captured that moment was just wonderfully done um, but yeah to your point I mean it comes off as Hollywood I mean you can't script that stuff any better and I think what it does is that we live through someone like Tiger um, those are like the those are the the ideals that we have for ourselves that we've been knocked down whether it's in our job or in a relationship and but you know it's it's like classic resilience story I get knocked down but I'm getting back up and I'm going and I'm keep going I keep going you know through hard work self belief and just never give up and we'll never get tired of those stories of course and when and, and when there's someone who's who the thing about tiger you, you made the nicely the point about your mother like he transcends sports it's not just it's not just he's a golfer or he's just an athlete he is um uh, i don't know he, he's just he's bigger he, he's bigger than sports for well, sure well again
0: it's what it's what i think sports is so great it it gives us an opportunity to to see someone Go through like we all go through. We all have, you know, ups and downs in our lives, and to see someone prevail, that's why I say it's hope and joy. It gives us hope in a way that we might, that we might also prevail. Um, you mentioned DiMaggio and uh, Michael Jordan. I would also put Wayne Gretzky in there, and of course, Jack Nicholas. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about, you know, I'm 58, and I think you're, uh, what are you, 60? I can't remember uh, if you're 60 or 60.
1: 93. Actually, no, 61. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, you know, I, and, and I, I will just equate this very quickly, and then we can go to the Ryder Cup. When I lived in Calgary in the early 80s, I, I remember Calgary Flames fans were like, oh, Gretzky's overrated, Gretzky blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and I always remember telling somebody, you're seeing something that you won't see again. So just enjoy it. It's a once-in-a-generation sport uh moment and and even then you could tell i mean even as a guy that was working at a calgary radio station i had to support the flames but when a guy scores 212 points in a season that transcends your stupid team absolutely um and so when tiger you know a lot of people were happy to see him fall and the marital infidelity and the uh the the incident where he's you know drugged out on painkillers you know, we all have friends and family that have gone through those things. Some of those things we've gone through ourselves. But you can't deny, and the reason I asked your age, you and I are going to statistically have, you know, 24 more years on the planet. That's about the Canadian average male is, uh, I think, 83 or 84. We're not going to see that again. That won't happen again. There isn't there isn't time for somebody. We're not going to see 14 majors in the next 20 years from one guy. and so I think. Me sad. Well, I don't mean to make you sad. <laughs> I know. I but you know don't. what I mean? Like, it no, is no, sad. Right. Well, it is that's sad. sad. It's, you're making that's a why, great point. And yeah, that's why we need to appreciate him. And that's why I think maybe a lot of, of the older people, like guy, guys like us that saw him from the I, – I started tuning in. I came online with Tiger uh, during the second of the three U.S. amateurs, 95. So for a long time, we've all been watching him. But I I'm telling you right now, it ain't gonna happen in our lifetime. There's some three year old kid somewhere right now that might be the next generational player, but we ain't gonna see him. You know, Spieth will have a nice career and Justin Thomas and Dustin, they'll all be fine. They might get to five or six majors, but no one's getting to fourteen. Yeah, exactly. Well,
1: you know, it's it's um like Tigers paid a huge price for this. Uh you know, and that's part of it is is understanding what he went through. I, you know, basically Tiger didn't have a childhood. Um, yeah, I don't mean to get. We're not going to get all into <laughs> breaking down Tiger's the reason for his struggles. But um, I don't think that other players are going to sacrifice what he did. Like Rory Rory McIlroy, I think if he never wins, never wins another major, he'd be kind of okay with that because he's 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 seen what happens to people like Tiger. So. He's striving for balance. He wants to win. Oh God, does he want to win? And we could talk about that later in the Ryder Cup, but n- maybe it won't be the sacrifice that Tiger had to make. And and I just a quick piece. Um, uh, you know, some of the people were hang. I was hanging out with at this conference. Some of the oh, I don't like Tiger Woods. And uh, and I get it. You know, and uh, in terms of uh, the the things that happened to him, and yeah, you know, the infidelities and all that. And I just say this. You know what? Tiger Woods is a flawed man, you know. Well, I'm a flawed man. We're all – we all got our stuff. And uh, Tiger just uh, happened to live his out on a public stage, um, you know, as the most famous a- athlete in the world.
0: Um, one last thing about Tiger that I want to talk uh, at Ryder Cup if we can. Um, you said something about, you know, he was – he didn't have a childhood. He, my, my instant reaction was a lot like Michael Jackson. You know, Michael Jackson, 100%. Michael Jackson became Michael Jackson because his whole youth, his whole life was sacrificed in the pursuit of excellence. And and just to pivot, <laughs> just to pivot away from that for a second, the, most of us, the reason our golf games won't improve or don't improve or haven't improved is because there is a sacrifice to make to get better at this. And not everyone wants to do that. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of goes into it. And, uh, and I don't know what this show where most of the listeners would fall, but I mean, you know, it's not an easy thing to learn how to do well and uh, it's impossible to learn how to do it. Like he did it. Unless, yeah, you, unless you're willing no, to give something up.
1: Well, it, that's right. And that's something that it took me a long while to, to understand. I thought everyone, all golfers were like me in, in terms of like, they just yearned to get, better at this game and would do everything. And then it was like, you mean you don't practice in the rain? You don't go out when it's like only six degrees out. Um turn your (laughs)
0: spare bedroom into a golf lab. (laughs) Exactly. You saying that for a friend you don't, you don't take out lamps, uh, <laughs> leave, leave to the ceiling. We, we gotta, uh, I quickly, I got to tell you, Rachel, uh, walked by, we walked by, I was on my way upstairs and she walked in by my spare bedroom where I put up a mattress. I had some water damage and so I had the mattress up against the wall and there's balls all over the carpet and some <laughs> aiming sticks. And she goes, are you ever going to put that back on the floor? I'm like, no, I don't know because yeah, exactly. there's a nice mirror there. I can look at my backswing. Um, yeah. Let's talk about uh, the Ryder Cup from a swing thoughts perspective. Swing thoughts, of course, brought to you by Adidas and TaylorMade. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll acquiesce to you. You can have a first uh, blush here. You can take a, a crack at it.
1: Well, um, I will put my bias out there right away. Um, I love uh, I love watching the Europeans beat the Americans. Me too. I think it's my it, favorite I think it, thing. I think it comes if you're a white guy in Canada, uh, you lightly have you know, European background. Oh yeah, and uh, with O'Connor, you can have a good guess which mine is. And so, uh, yeah, I the just, Glassman okay.
0: people weren't originally from Moose Jaw, just in case you're curious. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I love watching the Americans lose, and I'll tell you why after you tell me why.
1: Well, I just think that the Americans play to the. It's like this stereotype. Of of the uh, of the stoic American, you know I'll get it done on my marble horse, and um, you know I might give a, a thumbs up to my competitor, um, but I watch the Europeans and like they fall into each other's arms and they high five and they, it's uh, you know you could take this too- dramatic. I mean. You just look at the the kind of like that brotherhood that's created and the flow of emotion and everything that goes on. They are truly a team. They just come together. And I think part of that is um, – you know, it borders on stereotypical in trying to describe it. But I just think in terms of the European uh, personality and just being able to be more in the moment and be freer with what they're feeling – I think that that's a key reason they kick American butt. Plus the fact I think that um, – it was something I didn't really get until this one. I think Peter Jacobson was saying it or Faraday is that for the Europeans, most important thing, open championship. Second thing, Ryder Cup.
0: Hmm. Well, I heard somebody say this. I, I have serious uh, satellite radio still even though we're not working for them anymore. And I listened to a lot of PGA Tour radio in the week after – they lost, especially Hank Haney, is a show every day at 10. And Hank Haney's an interesting character. You know, he was Tigers coach. He's been a world class teacher for a long time. And he's a pretty, you know, decent broadcaster. Uh, you know, he's funny because he always says, I don't sugarcoat anything. And I, I, I texted him recently. I said, I know you don't sugarcoat anything, but let me just be honest with you. You pop your peas too much, okay? You're like, I said, as a broadcaster, you're a solid 15. Let me help you. Oh, um, nice! But um, but because I, I just want to say, you know, because I, I, he's always like, yeah, I, I tell it like it is. Okay, I said, tell it like it is. It is. But somebody needs you to needs to show you how to use a microphone. But that aside, that little nice, pet, that little pet peeve of mine aside, because he's always he's a pretty pompous guy. So I thought I'd you know I'd give him a little straight talk. Anyway, hmm. they the thing about the Europeans is. They might be the best team in sports the last twenty five years. It's and and I'm and the the person who said this and it wasn't Hank, but the person who said this made the made the case that you know you've got your, you know um, your Pittsburgh Penguins, you've got your, you know whatever the team in the, the the New England Patriots. You know, you've got your uh, baseball, Boston Red Sox, and so forth. But what team has won more consistently than the European Ryder Cup over the last quarter century? They've won nine of eleven matches over the course of twenty-five years. That's a, you know, that's like, that's like the Islanders, the Oilers. It's like, a, it's like a dynasty. Yeah. And and for whatever reason, as you say, they whatever they whatever hierarchy of importance they place on it culturally for them. It's a much different deal than it is for the Americans. I and mean, we know that, but but if you think about it in terms of a team, they have been dominating this, this team sport now for a long time.
1: Right, yeah. Well, just look at, at what happens when the Americans lose. So the last time, two Ryder Cups ago, uh, Mickelson throws Watson oh. under the bus right away. Still such a petulant dick move. Exactly, and we are both mickelson fans not (laughs) you know and i you know uh i relish the fact that molinari got the winning point against oh mickelson knocks it in the water that was beautiful he just
0: dusted him it's not even close anymore yeah
1: but um so then again here you have after this one they lose uh reed uh Saying that, you know, he didn't get the pairing he wanted. Um, Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka getting a fight, you know, they're all denying it. And yeah, maybe it didn't happen. But what that speaks to is that they, like, just to your point, they don't come together as a team. They're a bunch of individuals who come together uh, every two years and try and do this thing and then move on. But you can even see, I, I just see it even in the way uh, like a Kepka or a Dustin Johnson and, and people might jump on me because this is their personality. But there, so much is just suppressed and repressed in terms of what they really feel and how it's going. And so I don't think that if there's any grievances or difficulty, they don't really talk about it. There's no real actual real sharing of what's going on for them, right or wrong. Uh, you know, in the locker room. So they don't really come together as a team. Whereas mm-hmm. I think that the Euros, uh, whatever's going on, that comes out and, and they deal with it. And they they come together a lot more.
0: You know, one of the things that get, gets brought up a lot is that the Europeans consider themselves underdogs, which is an interesting thing because you think, well, how could they be underdogs? They have won 87% of these matches in 25 years. But the Golf Channel, I'm not sure if we talked about this off the show or not, but the Golf Channel had a very interesting documentary called The Famous Five. Mm. And it was about Langer. I didn't see it. Well, you, you know what? Look it up. You'd find it fascinating. It was just a one-hour doc. And it was about Faldo Langer, Woosnam, Sandy Lyle, and... Seve? Sevy. And it was... All set, and, and the interesting thing about those men is that they were all born within a year of each other, and they all came onto the scene. Oh, so It yeah. was first in the late 70s, but it was, it, it, as a Ryder Cup team, all of those five people came together, and they had this huge chip on their shoulders. Not the same respect, the European tour. Like, you and I would remember this. European tour was kind of like... I don't know, somewhere like we used to think of it as kind of like the web.com of Europe. It was kind of like a secondary tour and they dressed funny and their equipment was shitty. And, and, they, and in the documentary, they talk about this, how they went wow. to a Ryder Cup and all the Ryder Cup U.S. guys looked great. Their clothes were – and then these guys were like wearing some stuff they got from a pro shop. So there's a, a culture and, yeah. and, then, and then they prevailed and it, it sort of – so the Europeans, the younger guys, the, the ones on the team now – With the tradition of feeling less than and having that chip on your shoulder has is what drives them. Because it's they because they have been the lore has been handed down from captain to player to captain to player that once we were considered second class tour players, and now we once again need to prove to these Americans that we're better than they are, or just as good if not better.
1: Well, you could see that in the run-up. I I think that no one gave the Euros much of a chance this year. Um, I mean, the firepower of the Americans, uh, you know, Kepka and Johnson, um, Thomas, uh, a lot of uh, media said that the Americans were going to steamroll over the the Europeans. The same kind of – it's really funny how the same sort of – Oh, dialogue, narrative, we'll go with that. It rolls on year after year. It's like, oh, the Americans are more Higher ranked, it, better players. Gonna, all of that, and they're going to win. And then, then they don't win. And it's all the, all the gnashing of teeth and uh, stabbing in backs uh, that goes I mean, on. And by the way, and that just, is
0: why I like when they lose, because I love the aftermath, the weeks and weeks of, you know, why did we lose? How is it possible? Because as you put it, uh, I love what you said about the marble horse. You know, what it does is it it crushes the Americans worldview of themselves and it doesn't jibe with how they see themselves as the greatest country in the world. And I, I love it because it's analogous to how they aren't the greatest country in the world anymore. So this but this is just a reminder that there are other places on the planet where we have civilization. And they, and, they <laughs> and and it's just as good, if not better, than the American way.
1: Well, that's why Canadian we Canadians we're like you know what the mouse living beside the elephant, right? And we, I know as a as a Canadian golf fan, I love to watch the Americans get their asses kicked uh, because they exude that. And this is total projection. I'll own this is my own stuff, but it, they just project that arrogant American. I got it all together, so. Watching that happen, um, I relish it. For sure. Uh, and I think that's why uh, Canadian comedians – I'll ask you your comment on this. Canadian comedians excel in the United States because cause Canadians have a distance. So they can see kind of like these ironies and disconnects and then they can go into the United States and go, um, have you people really looked in the mirror? Well, <laughs> do, you thinking really, about do you really hear what you say or how you look?
0: You know, I, I, since 1975, one of the most influential shows—the the show that has spawned more uh, comedy movie careers, more stand-up careers, uh, more than more—I think it's really informed the comedic culture of America—was created by a Canadian, Lauren yeah. um, Lorne Michaels. Right. Uh, came from Canada, and just as you said, you know, sort of turned the camera on themselves. Um, now. This will be a great segue because we're going to talk putting one of the things that happens in match play when you're in a spirit of, you know, I don't know, like anything is possible and we're all in this together because technically it always comes down to the same things. How is it that the Europeans just make more putts? Well, part of it is that they're in a freer state of mind, I think. Americans are tight, and when you get tight, you miss putts. There you so go. there was two things. The, the golf course was set up brilliantly, and the Americans are talking about, oh, you know, Mickelson was whining about, you know, the course being set up, blah, blah, blah. But, buddy, everyone played it. You That's just right. have to hit it down the middle. You, you, you know, his whining is, again, reminding me once again why I don't like the guy. It's like, yeah, the course was set up difficult in a difficult manner, uh, maybe favored the straighter hitters, but so what? Hit it straighter. Don't hit driver. Hit an iron. Do something. But but putting for and you watched it unfold. I was watching it with my brother. How is it that they just make more putts when it counts? They just do. They lost and Sergio. Well, they Sergio lost seventeen a and a half. Example. Well, Sergio Poulter, uh, Molinari, Fleetwood. When you lose seventeen and a half to ten and a half. Um, Yeah, some of that's ball striking, but a lot of that is just chip-ins, hole-outs, and putts.
1: Yeah, I don't know if there's any magical formula that Europeans have in in regards to putting. I I, I really don't. I have a sense that a lot of it is around just their ability to be – like this is their moment. This is this is their stage. This is the biggest thing for them outside of winning, you know, as a team and, and British and I have a sense that this is I mean, these are the top European players in the freaking world. And I think when you put them on that stage in that environment, they just they just allow the magic to flow. Yeah, and but, it Timmy, but
0: but just the way think about this. It to them it could back I mean, that could backfire. I mean if they, they hold it in such esteem. That, you know, we all know when we want to play well, sometimes we don't. But the reason they're on that team
1: to start with is because they know how to work through the nerves. They know how to shut down the story. I mean, the best story of uh, one of the greatest stories I've heard is uh, Paul McGinley. I think it was in uh, 2000 or 2001, had the winning. Um, he realized as he came to the, yeah. to, uh, the to the team. final green against Furyk, it was about 10 footer that. Uh, it occurred to him that, oh, this could win the Ryder Cup. So how does he prevail beyond that? And he said it was just about his – he just focused on the on a spot that he wanted to roll the ball. And he let the ball go. He suck over the spot. Next thing you know, he he's running around going crazy. And, I, and my point is, is that he was committed to his process. And I think that that's what those players are able to do. That's the reason they're there. It's good because they've been in majors, they've been at top events, they've won lots of tournaments. Yeah, but Tim, so, so have all the
0: pressure. guys on the American team, yet they don't prevail in those situations. Why is that? That's a great point. Um, I mean, maybe I have, we'll never... I sense that they, regardless yeah. whether they make
1: the putt or not, their teammates are still going to be there for them. Yeah, but, There's not going to be any acrimony. Um, I, I think that, that, you know, that's the essence of team golf, is you know that if if you don't make a putt, someone else will, and that takes the pressure off you. And I think the Americans don't share that.
0: Well, and maybe, and maybe I, I, I don't know if you can find one particular thing that will be the answer to why they don't win. But I think there's a, I think we've covered a lot of it. There's a team mentality. It means more to them. They, you know, with somebody else, I heard had an interesting point. They said, you know, they all want to win for Europe, but there's a country pride. Yes, you know when Fra- Francesco, like they're all from different countries, and so as soon as the Ryder Cup was over, you saw them being interviewed by their home television networks. And so there's Francesco Marlonari, proud as anything, being interviewed on, because he's now on Italian TV. Right. And and it's not like the American players are being interviewed on Iowa today. You know if they're you know what I mean they're, It's not <laughs> yeah. the, it's not the same thing as Idaho when you, this morning. <laughs> yeah, when you represent an entire country and. A con, You know, and a, a sort of a, you know, the European Ryder Cup is more of a state of mind for them, but they're all individuals from different countries. And it means, so there's an extra layer there, I think, because all those things you were saying about letting it go and being an, all the teammates, well, the Americans would theoretically have that, but not... To the same degree, they had an average ranking of eleven they were their average world rank was eleven The Europeans were nineteen, but in golf it doesn't matter it's by it 's right. why you know you and I could play uh golf ten times, and even with our handicaps, you know you never know who 's going to show up right you never know what especially in match play you know you never know what version of Howard or Tim will be there that day, or what does it mean more to one or the other? And I think, uh, I mean, we're I, I don't I don't see it changing for the Americans. They did that task force in 2014. Yeah. You know, uh, Jim Furick was all over the Golf Channel apologizing and standing by his decisions. But, you know, I like Jim Furyk, but I, I think he made some horrible decisions. Oh, he did. Absolutely. I mean, picking picking um, uh for one thing, you know, um, even picking Tiger. Other- you know, I mean, yeah. The Tiger was a little bit burned out, and he looked horrible. a little bit. He was totally gassed. Yeah, he wasn't I not know if you saw the, the press conference. I swear to God, I, I saw the press. He looked stoned to me. I'm not yeah, just saying I, that flippantly. He looked like he was
1: high. Well, he was he was just absent because I think he was exhausted. Um But you know, just real fast. But Nicholson putting out on on the the, the in the in An the alternate uh, orf- shot alternate shot he puts together de chambeau and like you can't you know so that means that half the time Mickelson is teeing off first and the guy is the wildest guy you can't recover if he's in the high hay so those decisions but here's where i wanted to just go with this more about this i think it's it has so much to do with the team aspect of it and being a coach of a university team i think it's given me a degree of insight into this and that if you feel that you are going to let your the biggest thing when in the Ryder Cup or President's Cup or whatever it's playing for your country but in that moment it's playing for your teammates that's what it's about so that's the biggest thing so uh, I've seen it with my own players uh, that they feel that you know if they make a bogey or two or miss a birdie but they've let their team down and they really feel like an emotional jolt and it sends them, you know, up and down, spiraling and all that. And part of it is is that they 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 identify. And then they go like, okay, if I don't do I'm not contributing to the team. And I think underneath that would be like, oh, they won't like me, they'll be pissed off, uh, you know, you know, that I've abandoned them somehow and I, I'm I'm just crappy. So you see sort of the spiral that can go on, even unconsciously. But when you have a team that, that, you know, they know that no matter what happens, I've got your back. If you drop a shot, I'll make one for you. It's okay. We'll get this together. And my sense is that even if you have that consciously or even unconsciously, that frees you up. And I have a sense that there might be – that might be part of it with the Europeans. The Americans though, I just don't think that there's that same degree of – of bonding and support they have for each other. And that comes out. I think what the, the nugget underneath the Kepka and Johnson thing was, is that they were starting to like say, Hey, you know, hold more putts, play better. And, and that was kind of what was at work or not. And Um, I think that's part of what the issue is for the Americans.
0: No, I think uh, there's all, all, there's something in all that we've been discussing in terms of, you know whatever that little intangible is but they didn't just get beat they got they got a pretty good thumping there um i did i read an interesting Mickelson statistic i think it was last night during the broadcast but you know Nick Mickelson's strength when he hits fairways which isn't all the time obviously But he is, the, uh, I think, the current PGA TOUR statistical leader in proximity to the hole from 150 to 175 yards, which is why he makes a lot of birdies. That's why he's a great better ball partner, because half the holes he makes bogey or pars, but when he hits a fairway, he makes a ton of birdies because he hits it pretty close, and he's a very good putter. So why Furyk put him out in alternate shot, where... It's chaos. He he hit it in the water half the time. Why oh, an back,
1: iron on a par five? Why oh exactly?
0: Gosh. You know, like you know, he's only human. He feels pressure. He's a captain's pick. He knows he's not playing. I mean, a telling thing was the bottom four players in the last tournament of the year at the Tour Championship were Americans. There's hmm. all kinds of stuff, um, but it, it would be better if it were exciting. But I still I still like when the Americans lose. I loved watching after, as I said, when Nicholson hits it in the water,
1: he doffs his cap. That's it. I mean, it says so much. Like, Molinari, he's like the, 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 the staid guy. Anyone's contained. He throws himself into the crowd and all the beer and everything. That was fantastic. No, was I, 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 I had, like, goosebumps watching it. And But, you know, also Molinari and Fleetwood, that whole – thing, the way they came together. Fleetwood, talk about a demonstrative guy. I well, love and the, that. And,
0: and I love the European tour because that video of them the next day in bed, that's all Keith Pelley, man. Oh, that, absolutely. That is that, that, was... that has his stamp on it. That's a European tour. That's the. I, mean, I, I hung around with them a couple summers ago. That's them, uh, not oh, those yeah. two guys. But the European tour, that's how they look at golf, like an opportunity to entertain people. You would absolutely. have never seen that. You know, that Pelley's killing it. Yeah,
1: yeah I, you're absolutely right. And and those that video of them in bed was hysterical. Yeah, it was amazing. Th- that, I watched it probably about six or seven times in a row. <laughs> I just loved it so much. And someone said, uh, I think it was on Golf Works or something, could you imagine them uh, to Brooks and DJ, ah, uh, we got this idea.
0: Yeah. And no. the idea is you're in bed and th- that it would stop there. <laughs> Well, um, let's uh, pick and choose a couple more things. Uh, We had talked a little bit about uh, Carl Morris and the impact uh, he's had on us, you as a teacher, me as a player. Uh, Carl's a a great guy, was a great guest with us a few, well, I guess a couple months ago now. no, a month ago or so. No, because it was prior to the uh, club championship for me. Oh, okay. So that was September 16th. Uh, So I think Carl was a week before that the reason i know that is cuz he was kind enough to have a, a, a private session with me nice um and i read his book but but it was it was the you know and we and we had sort of talked in our briefing before we rolled tape today that one of the things we wanted to get to is the idea of changing your story and and i can tell you from my own visceral experience and what you've been experiencing with your teammates uh, your team i should say that that is one of the most powerful lessons I've learned as a you know, pursuer of excellence in the game, that, that you have the ability to at any time, at this moment, to change the story we tell ourselves, not just about the game of golf, but about but about everything. But in the game of golf, it gives us an opportunity to to kind of practice mindfulness in a way that gives us some real life feedback. Um so I'll leave it there because I want to talk about the impact he's had on my putting in general. But what are your takeaways? Because you just read the book. It's called The Lost Art of Putting.
1: Yeah, um, beautifully put the way you set that up. And, uh, yeah, I just got to, that book arrived in the mail. So today's Friday. I think it arrived on Tuesday, and I've read like two-thirds of it already. And I I love the book. Uh, it's called The Lost Art of Putting. Uh, he, uh, Carl wrote it with uh, Gary Nickel um, a, a, a golf professional in Europe. Um, but what we're talking about, the whole idea of the story is just bang on, uh, in terms of, of kind of the foundation that we, we operate from. So if we have a story going that, you know, I'm not very good in bunkers or I can't close tournaments, you're going to live out that story. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy.
0: Well, he has a great phrase. He calls it – he says the, the prover proves, the thinker right. thinks, and the prover proves. So if you think it, you you will find a way to prove it to you. As you walk up to the ball, the ball in the bunker, if you're thinking, ah, I'm not really a very good bunker player, well, guess what?
1: Exactly right. And one of the things that I've been working on with my team – this year is uh, the whole this. This is bang on. This whole idea of don't get caught up in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the players who play on my team, I, wish, I mean, people don't know how good Ontario University golfers are. These most of the players are plus handicaps. They could be playing uh, maybe not Division One, but two. I mean, they you know really amazing players. So they're hitting the ball close a lot of times in a few tournaments. These guys were getting like all frustrated because they weren't able to make some putts. I can't make a putt, can't do this. Mm-hmm. I said, dude, I said, you just haven't made a putt yet. <laughs> Don't get caught in your story. And they do. They and, and it's just natural. I'm not telling tales out of school. We all do it in all parts of our lives, and business, relationships, golf, whatever. Golf's just a metaphor that if you create this you're unwittingly creating this story to kind of make sense of your world you know i I, i'm missing these putts i must be a crappy putter i can't putt from six feet out i can't putt from three feet in i can't read so all the the what you're doing is creating a scenario where you're thinking and everything is focused on this negative thing that's going on and you're not in the possibility that could go in and so it's it's Let go of the story because when you're in the story, you create drama and the drama is your emotions going up and down and you can't perform or be at your best in whatever you do when you're caught in that. So that's one of the key things that um, I'm taking away from Carl's book. And it just nicely parallels the track that we've been on with our golf team in terms of just allow yourself to come back to center the moment is where you need to be is right now, as opposed to still beating yourself up or creating a story. I can't make a putt today.
0: Well, I, I mean, it applies to lots of aspects of the game of golf, you know, whether you don't like you know, holes, a dog leg left to right, or you don't like to have to hit a certain shot, you know, um, with me, as uh, you know, if you went back and listened to this season's, you know, swing thoughts, you know, we talked about a round that you had played with me on a men's night where I, you know, I hit it pretty good. I, you know, I'm a. Oh my God, you hit it amazing! <laughs> I'm a pretty good golf ball striker, and that day I three putted four times and shot 76. And I was just like, it, it was. I you you I, I asked you if you could stick around for a second on the last screen. Can we just talk about it a little bit because it was very frustrating. And I realized what I was doing is I was just continually adding to the tale of. You know, the daily tale, and then it was my season-long tale. And one of the things that Carl said to me in our session was, you now have to stop telling people about all the times you three-putt. Right. Because what it's doing is it's just solidifying I'm a bad putter or I'm having a bad putting season. And in actual fact, sometimes you three-putt because it's a difficult putt. I I wasn't allowing anything to cloud my story of I'm a shit putter now. Because if you remember when you first met me or we first started playing the last couple of years, I would literally tell anyone, sort of jokingly, I'm the greatest lag putter uh, currently alive on planet Earth. Because I would just feel like I could lag a putt somewhere near the hole all the time. And somehow or another, I got caught up in this story that I am no longer a good putter. And what he said to me, and I've got it in front of me. So he, what he, what what one of the great takeaways of the book is, you and, and one of the things he said to me, Howard, if you do nothing after this conversation, this was the week before the club championship, he said, I need you to write this down. He said, if you don't do that, it's not going to work. And he's, he was very adamant about that. So I wrote down what my story was, and I you, you know what it was, and how I'm going to change it. And then I wrote down the things that I'm going to do on every putting opportunity. You know, one of them is to start breathing you know, sort of more slowly as you approach the green. In his book, he says 10 yards from the green, you need to start getting in a mode of relaxation and a few other things, a few other drills. But of course, the big takeaway from the book is the two questions Is it possible for this putt to go in the hole? And the second question, what does this ball need to do to accomplish that? Like, so I ask myself now on every putt, what do I, is it possible? So I tell my brain, and of course the brain goes, yeah, it's possible. The ball will go, can go on the hole. And then what do I have to do? Where do I have to start this? And so I'm now engaged in the putting process and not in the, oh, here we go again. And here's the funny thing. I told you before the show, I've gone from three putting several times around way more than a good player should. And I say that, you know, with all humility.
1: You're a good player.
0: <laughs> but, but, you know, at my statistical level, I'm a one handicapper. Uh, You basically should never three putt more than once every three rounds. So I've gone from three putting all the time to I can't remember the last time I three putt. But you know, the funny thing is I have three putted. I just don't I just don't think about it anymore because sometimes you three putt because it's 60 feet and you hit it to six feet, which is pretty good. And you missed it. So what? Whereas that's all I would think of. So even though I'm sure I have three putted sometime in the last 10 rounds, I just don't think about it anymore. I just think about it as the same way I couldn't tell you if I've hit it in a hazard recently, but I'm sure I have. It's just part of the game. Whereas I made it, this is the last thing I'll say, is you can tell, I made it such a big part of my story this summer. Like Almost like, man, I would have done so much better if I didn't have this handicap of not being able to putt.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Oh, wow. The that- yeah, you you have you have, you have transcended the gates of hell, young man. <laughs> the thing about again, what it's about the story. So you're missing putts like in the, in the Canadian mid-am, right? I mean, you could just you were like what What is it three three putts and a bunch of four putts, you know, in one uh, round.
0: In, in the first, pardon me, in the first round of the Canadian mid-am, I had 42 putts. All right, and you putts can imagine this.
1: You can imagine the story. It was spiraling for you around that and the thing is is that really it doesn't does it really mean it's about the meaning we attach to all this and 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 how that then feeds to our own sense of self esteem and our own identification i'm a good putter i'm a bad putter whatever it's not putting meaning into any of this and that's part of what carl's talking about is that if we if we create meaning out of something that happens it's just a fantasy. It's an illusion. It's a hallucination. Right. You're just creating something out of nothing. It doesn't mean anything. You know what? You missed a putt. So you know what? And and the next time you have a putt that's sort of a death, maybe it goes in. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe a puff of wind gets it, some sand, a bug, whatever. It's not getting caught up in this in the story, which is is really huge.
0: Um, uh, if I may just interrupt, what you just said oh, yeah. there is so key. That that um, that tale we tell ourselves, I don't hit it well into the wind or whatever, is only existing in one place. It's only happening in your head. It's not actually happening. And the right. nice thing about asking yourself, is it possible for this putt to go in the hole? Well, it's. It, it, of course, it's possible. The answer is yes. Well, and by the way, um, from I, I I've also been having a less than stellar summer or I had been having a less than stellar summer, getting the ball up and down, obviously because I would get it to six feet and never make that putt, it seemed. Well, ever since I changed my story of putting, all of a sudden my ability to get the ball up and down has improved because I think when I'm chipping now, is it possible for this to go on the hole? Absolutely it is. And I'm, I sw- no word of a lie, I have chipped in more in the last six weeks than I, I didn't chip in all summer. No, I didn't have one ball go in the hole from off the green. And in the last six weeks, Timmy, I swear, a dozen times. I, this week, I've done it three days in a row. Two chip-ins, huh. two chip-ins and a hole out from the bunker. Where Because I'm just saying to myself, you know what? This is, you could make this. It's possible to make this shot go in the hole. It's only right there. And it, just that configuration, the reconfiguration of that bit of my hard drive has made a huge difference. Because I'm just open to the idea that you never know. Where does this ball have to land once it hits the green to go in the hole?
1: So a couple things I, I take for that. And that's I, I love hearing this is that one of those things is that you've you've freed yourself from the thinking and the emotion that goes with it. And one of the things is that when we have particularly on the golf course, let's say you miss a bunch of three uh, three foot putts and you have an emotional reaction, you get angry, which usually leads to some you know, resignation and sadness. Well, what happened in this similar situation, what's gonna come to the fore? That high emotion. That's that's why when things happen to us, say in golf, particularly in golf, when you get all upset, the brain, see the brain's wired so it protects us. It's So that we're in the same situation, that same emotion comes up again so that you know um, i mean that's what happened when you were like you know came out of the cave and you the you know, saber tooth tiger you like you're afraid of the saber tooth tiger getting you so you're all poised fight for fight fight or flight same thing happens in golf i know it sounds kind of weird but so that's why what we're talking about is is don't get caught up in it. Let the story go and let. Don't get in the emotion and don't go into the bar afterwards and moan and groan and talk about the three putts you had because that's what you're going to remember and ingrain, rather than talk about the good shots you hit and what you learned today. That's yeah. way more important.
0: You know, I read this thing and, and, and I. Uh, I think we need to come up with a new word that means I super agree with you. Anyway. <laughs> um, hundred percent, absolutely. Um, there's a famous story about Jack Nicholas being interviewed, and I'd heard this story, and I'm sure you have as well. Where basically, Nicholas claimed in this interview that he'd never missed a putt when it counted. So
1: sorry to interrupt. It's a, it's at a conference. So this story is. Uh, I'm not going to hijack your no, story, no, but he's he's in a conference, right? And he's giving
0: a talk to many many people,
1: and he says that. You take it away.
0: He says. Someone asked him a question about missing a putt. He goes, I have never missed a putt in my career um, when it counted. On the or, back nine of a major. On the back nine of a major. Now, that statistically is is wrong. It, it's not truth. But it's how he remembered it. And, and I'm going to tell you, it's just the story he tells himself. So that he is in a mindset at the time when he was the greatest of all time. That he never missed a putt that mattered on the back nine of a major, because that's a great. Now here's the thing: why not think that, whether it's true or not, it's better to think that than walking up to a forty footer and going, "Well, here's the opposite of the putt." Exactly. Um, well, it's about your belief system, it's right? About, but but the funny thing is, you can alter it to yes. reflect anything you want. Now, Jack Nicklaus was wrong. He did miss putts. It just didn't. It just in the way he looked at it. He chose to believe he didn't. Um, We can choose to believe we're chokers or we're closers or we rise to the occasion or we don't. But I can tell you from playing as, you know, quite a bit of tournament golf. And I would say this for anyone that wants to play more golf that matters, let's call it. It really is about how you bel- what your belief system is versus how good you're hitting it. Because I've gone into competitions and not hit it well. On Wednesday, on our final men's night, I honestly had the worst warm-up, pre-round warm-up I've had all year. I, I was working on, I couldn't hit the ball. But the funny thing is, I knew as soon as I walked over to the first tee, that I, I played enough tournament golf to know that I will just try and hit it to something, somewhere. And I hit it pretty good that day. I didn't score great, but I, I hit it nicely. Certainly, if you'd seen me warm up, I was not – I could have panicked. But I was kind of like, eh, I'm sure it will be fine because I just believe it will be fine.
1: Lovely. Absolutely. And so much of it is based on your intention. You, you, know, it's, you weren't trying to hit perfect shots, make perfect swings, or have perfect strokes. It's about, okay – there's the target. What's my intention? And when you free yourself from the stories of "Oh my God," you know, is this going to be another one of those I can't days? Find it. Exactly. And but you know, one of the things that I'm really enjoying about um, Carl's book, The Lost Art of Putting, is that there's some things in here that I've I've experienced on my own, but also in my work with Fred Shoemaker and the way that um, uh, Carl describes it is is that we don't need all this focus that golfers put on making a good swing or a perfect stroke is so misplaced i wrote a blog about it months ago and what it's not whether you make a good stroke is are you doing based on your intent of getting into the hole allowing your body to do what it needs to do you don't need a perfect stroke Mm -hmm. you don't need a perfect swing your body will in, I, I like the verb that Carl uses, organize itself based on your intent. It'll it'll knock that ball towards the hole, and sometimes it might go in.
0: Yeah, well, the for, for me, it's been so... I was going to say a revelation, but it, it's just been another great example of when you get out of your own way, I can't even tell you why my ball... I am just stroking it better, freer, my release. I could give you the technical stuff, but... I even thought this other day, I'm really not 100% sure what I'm doing that's making the ball go to the hole or in all the time now. But I think mostly I'm just in a in a mode of it's possible for me to sink this. So everything is freeing up now. Again, I, c- I don't really even – you know, there's been some stuff in his book. There's some good technical pace drills. So, yeah, my pace is better. But I couldn't even completely tell you why. It just well, is. How could – I totally get this and I, and I love this because this is
1: so in line with my sense of, of how golfers get in their own way and and when people are allowing it to just flow, how good they can be. They surprise themselves. Their bodies know what to do. Like That's the thing I find really funny about golf instruction. People say they know how they, how the golf swing works. No, they don't. They, they don't know which muscle connects with what piece of tissue and moves that. You can't describe that but when we get out of our own way – and let our body do what it can do it can do amazing things like how do you explain how a quarterback can time a ball perfectly to receiver slanting away from him 45 yards how do you explain that you can't he just knows there's something that just goes on within his body his spatial the way he organized that he just he releases that ball and somehow the magic happens and this and and work that someone with uh, on three degrees of slope uphill can hit a putt that somehow falls topples in you know with one half rotation left on the ball our bodies know how to do this stuff we get in our own way by trying to do everything correctly and my sense is is that you and me i've been i've been playing the best golf of my life this year at age 61 that part of what we're doing I think is not getting caught up in our story not trying to do everything correctly and just allowing this amazing gazillion dollar machine to just do its thing
0: and um, and fine well this is this has been a fantastic uh, episode I'm telling people it is because uh, I've enjoyed it I'll tell you um, finally I'll, I'll tell you a story of how uh, I still have a little work to do it's it's a bit of a humble brag, as the kids call it. But I was uh, hey Stan, hey Stan. So my brother was in town a couple weekends ago, and we played Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday at, at uh, Rattlesnake, I had it under par for quite a bit of the round. I ended up shooting one under seventy one. The next well day, done, I, young man. Next day we play uh, with a couple other players at Eagle Ridge, and uh, I'm really playing well. And I it's not it's you know it's it's a pars. I, I, well, it's a par 71, but here's the, why that's important. It's um, rated, I think, 68 or 69. So when I tee it up there, and I've shot in the 60s there before, I have it in my head that it's possible. Somewhere in my mind as I'm driving to the course, I think, yeah, you know, it's possible I could shoot in the 60s. And I am and I forget that. So we're playing along, and in the middle of the 15th fairway at Eagle Ridge, it's a par four, and, that, and the hardest... One of the hardest tee shots in the back nine. And I've hit the fairway. I'm 135 yards from the green. And I'm uh, five under par. And while I'm waiting to hit my shot, I go, wow, I'm five under par. On On the front nine, I was two under. And then I birdied three in a row. I birdied 11, 12, and 13. Parred 14. Just about birdied that. And I've now completed what I think in my head is the toughest tee shot I have left. I'm 135 in, and I think, oh, I'm five under par. And then I remember that it's a par 71 and not a par 72, and my lowest round ever is 67. And I have the following thought. If I par in, I'll have my lowest. (laughs) Ouch. This is where the. This I is where the evil words. music
1: comes in. This yeah. is where the shark music comes
0: in. I'm one thirty five from the green. It's a little bit uphill into the wind, but I have the thought that, you know, uh, if I because seventeen is a birdieable par five, but rather than think I can birdie every hole, I think, and I and I know other people have had this feeling where I just want the round to be over. That's right. And, uh, well, you know how it ends. I go, bogey. <laughs> wait, bogey. You yeah, actually sh- guess how it ends. <laughs> I go, bogey. Then I shank an iron, shank an iron, yes, make same. a double bogey on the par three. I par the 17th instead of birdieing it. And I lip out on the last hole for 69, literally lip it for a par, make bogey. So I finish bogey, double par, bogey to shoot 70. And on the way home, and my brother's a psychologist, on the way home, I'm just like, every couple of minutes I go, you got to be kidding me. Not, I mean, at some point, I will learn the lesson of just being where your body is. Right. To just be there on the, I would love to be there in the middle of the 15th fairway and try again and just play the next shot
1: that's so there you that go. is that's the tough part of the game and so uh, as we start to wind this down i'll leave you with this uh i heard this great piece this week um from uh it was written by victor frankel uh who uh, who wrote um oh gosh I forget the name of the book now um very famous book he was a psychologist uh he was in a concentration camp and uh the an amazing, amazing book of resiliency and, and, and giving people hope and, and things. And, and, but he said that it, there's a space between stimulus and response. There's a space and that's where your power and your freedom live. And so that's the, that's the trick, whether it's golf life is stuff happens. We can have thoughts, things can happen to us, but then how do we respond? And that is always the toughest part. Um, so young man, uh, you're like so freaking abnormal and normal <laughs> in terms of the the, the the thoughts that happen to all of us, you know. And, and, that's, and, and so it's that ability to be able to catch ourselves. Oh, God, here we go. I'm in the story again. And like, like they, like quite frankly, you had a story going that oh, I could shoot. Oh yeah, I could shoot a sixty. I could shoot sixty six or whatever. Or, you whatever. Know, best ever.
0: Here's, yeah, that, and I'm, and I know everyone can relate to that idea of kind of coming to a realization. And again, you know, you go in and out of the zone. And I've, I've had that feeling several times this summer where I look back and I go, oh, I was in the zone then. And what took me out of it is coming back to a story. And yeah. in, on that particular day, I was obviously in the zone. I'd birdied three holes in a row, and I was striping it. And then I literally couldn't, I made one par on the last three and a half holes. After That's having like, not, it was insane.
1: Well, remember that time that you told me, I think it was the Canadian mid-Am last year, um, in which I think you finished nine holes. You're well, even, yeah, I, or I, knew, I, I
0: needed to be even par on the second day to make the cut. And I finished the ninth. I, I played the, the first nine holes, even par. And I was like, look at me. I'm in a well, national championship, even par. Exactly. And, and even in, when you ran into uh, Charles, our, uh, our, buddy our friend Charles. Charles,
1: basically you were telling him a story. That's right. And and again, that's so normal, but it's and that's why mindfulness is is just a, a great thing for golf or anything it's like it's being to catch ourselves where am i right now what am i paying attention to oh i'm paying attention to this freaking story yeah as a like i'm ahead of the game and not where i need to be and just i looked just looked up the the book if there's a book that should be on everyone's bucket list it's called uh, man's search for meaning by victor frankl
0: well, that's where we'll end. Uh, Tim O'Connor available for all kinds of uh, functions, bar mitzvahs, birthday parties. Um, uh,
1: big, great balloon animals. Uh, uh,
0: O'ConnorGolf.ca, the uh, Humble and Fred show now streaming live each and every morning on Funny Twenty and on the iHeartRadio app uh, as well, HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Um, I'm not sure what our schedule is going to be. You know, we'll probably go back to doing this every couple of weeks now. And mm-hmm. uh, we hope to feature some more guests I would say if there's somebody that you uh, would like us to uh, try and track down, maybe there's a, a golf icon. Like I'll tell you, for me, the on my my guest bucket list right now would be Brandel Chambly, because I've been I've been corresponding a little bit with him as well on Twitter. Oh, nice, nice. And um, you know, I know from reading and seeing what he's up to, he does the odd golf podcast, and it wouldn't be, you know, way outside. Uh, I know some people that know him. I got to know uh, Jeff Shackelford, and I know Damian Hack a bit, and I know another guy at the Golf Channel. So I, I would like to see if we can't pursue Brandel because I think he's the, I think he's the most intelligent ex-golfer. I mean, he really is a smart, smart guy.
1: Oh God, he does his homework for yeah. sure. Absolutely. No, I'd 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 love to have Brandel on and. Um yeah, I think over the over the winter time, um, once our own games are kind of uh, on ice, if you will, um, we can start to go back to doing um, a lot of interviews with a lot of we've had a lot of cool people on this on the show, uh, Gabriel Wolf, Fred shoemaker, mm-hmm. you name it. So uh, yeah, we'll get that going uh, a lot more for sure.
0: All right, Mr. O'Connor, always a pleasure. Uh, this episode of Swing Thoughts, as always, brought to you by TaylorMade. Uh, really unbelievable. Not only great drivers, but uh, I, if you, it, uh, some of your friends are already using those seven nineties. I have them. You have them, right? Absolutely love yeah. those things. They're absur- they're a roast show. That's right. Seriously, you will roast all your irons. Uh, and of course, Adidas. Timmy, uh, good luck in the uh, Oaua finals <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is whatever it is and uh, thank we'll, you I appreciate that and uh, we'll see everyone next time right. bye bye, bye. Well, I like step inside